You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Once upon a time, there were two boys named Jacob and Esau. From the moment of their birth, these twins had a fierce rivalry. This rivalry caused much strife in their family and continued on through their children long after they were dead. 840 years before the time of Jesus, Esau's family had multiplied and become the nation of Edom and Jacob's family grew into the nations of Israel and Judah. Just as Jacob and Esau fought with each other, Edom grew in power and planned to overtake Judah with the help of the Philistines and the Arabians. The Edomites and their allies invaded Jerusalem and they cast lots to decide which parts of Jerusalem belonged to whom. The king of Judah, King Jehoram, was robbed of his belongings and his family was murdered. By sacking Jerusalem, Edom had fought against God. And so, God called forth a prophet named Obadiah to speak about the Edomites and the consequences of their proud and violent ways. Well, today we are looking at seven different prophets over the next seven weeks. Uh, Prophets in the Old Testament that we typically don't look at. So one of the goals of this series that we start today is that we hope that at the end of the series, your biblical knowledge is on the rise. And today we're looking at the shortest book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. Now, as we get started, I'm just kind of curious, how many of you in the room have a biblical name. Would you just raise your hands? It might be, yes, several of you, Mark or Ruth, or some of you just by accident, maybe some by intent, you you have a biblical name. Uh, Our two sons' names are Daniel and Jonathan, good biblical names. So names mean something. I haven't come across too many Obadiahs. (laughs) There's a few, there's a few. Obadiah? Anybody heard of him? And yet, we need to look at this prophet that lives something like uh, five, six, seven, or eight centuries before Jesus. It's not quite sure. And as we step into this biblical story, what we're going to find is that there's real relevance to what this guy has to say even to us today. Now, to set the stage... Let me show you what the story's about, and then we're going to read from the the book of Obadiah. First of all, look at this map. And this is a story about the kingdom of Edom, the Edomites, that were just south of Judah and Israel. And they didn't like each other. They had contention with each other for centuries. And it goes back to the family tree. And the family tree started with Jacob and Esau. 
Maybe you know the biblical story of Jacob and Esau. They were twins, twin brothers. I'm a twin. And uh, through these two boys, there was a lot of sibling rivalry. There was a lot of deceit. There was scheming. There was tomfoolery. There was a lot of bad blood between Jacob and Esau. And even though they got some reconciliation toward the end of the life, you know what happened? Their descendants carried on the enmity. They carried on the hostility. They carried on the resentment. Does this kind of thing happen sometimes in your family tree too? And so what happened um, by the 8th century before Jesus, there's Judah and Israel in Jacob's line and the descendants of Esau who become the Edomites. And if you just keep going, interesting enough, through more centuries, guess what? When the baby Jesus arrives, King Herod's on the throne, and what does he do? Well, he's one of the most hostile dudes of all. He, he kills all the male babies two years of age and under uh, to oppose Jesus. And he's a descendant of the Edomites. Interesting, isn't it? Hostility and prejudice and anger that's not dealt with just keeps getting passed on to the generations. And so God raises up the prophet Obadiah because the Edomites, boy, they, they take a lot of pleasure when Judah falls, when Jerusalem falls, when the nations have havoc against them. And we're going to look at God's judgment against the Edomites and the reason behind it. Now, I want to invite you to listen very carefully and read along in the book of Obadiah as the words appear on the screen. I'm going to read from a very close translation, the NLT. And as I read this, at the end of the day, when someone asks you the question, what would you do today? You can say, oh, I read a whole book in the Bible. Oh, it was spiritual, huh? So at the end of the day, you can say, I read the whole book, a whole book of the Bible, because that's exactly what we're going to do today, just 21 verses. But listen to the story. At the word of the Lord, the voice of God came to Obadiah. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We should have heard... We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says, I will cut you down to size among the nations, Edom. You will be small and despised. You are proud because you live in a rock forest and you make your home high in the mountains. Who, who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully? Don't fool yourselves. Though you soar as high as the eagles and build your nests among the stars, I will bring you crashing down. I, the Lord, have spoken. If thieves came at night and robbed you, they would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from the, your land. They will promise you peace while plotting your destruction. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you won't even know about it. 
At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For the mountains of Edom, I will destroy everyone who has wisdom and understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified, and everyone in the mountains of Edom will be cut in the slaughter. So why? Just listen for all the times that the Word says you shouldn't have, okay? Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, now you will be destroyed completely and feel the shame forever. For you deserted your relatives in Israel during their time of greatest need. You stood aloof, refusing to lift a finger to help your foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. You acted as though you were one of Israel's enemies. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have gloated when they were exiling your relatives to distant lands. You shouldn't have rejoiced because they were suffering such misfortune. You shouldn't have crowed over them as they suffered these disasters. You shouldn't have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You shouldn't have gloated over the destruction of your relatives, looting their homes and making yourselves rich at their expense. You shouldn't have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape you shouldn't have captured the survivors, handing them over to the enemies in that terrible time of trouble. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge the godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I will pour out on you. Yes, you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history as though you had never even existed. And history records that the Edomites as a nation were no more. But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. At that time, Israel will be a raging fire and Edom a field of dry stubble. The fire will roar across the field, devouring everything and leaving no survivors at Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and the people of Benjamin and will occupy the land of Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far as Zarephath. The captains from Jerusalem, exiled to the north, will return to their homeland and resettle in the villages of the Negev. Deliverers will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom, and the Lord himself will be king. Congratulations, you've just completed a full book in the Bible. You shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. How many times do you get tired of hearing that? You ever hear that and say that to family, you shouldn't have? And sometimes people get really turned off at the church, they get turned off at religion, they get turned off on the faith because they, they kind of think that the church is all about you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. But you know what? There's times when you shouldn't have. There's times when we shouldn't have. And there's a God in heaven who will say that to us. You shouldn't have. You really shouldn't have. 
And there's two primary things that we're going to focus on today of the things that the Edomites really shouldn't have because they relate to us today. The first judgment, the, the first one is you, des- you deserted your relatives in Israel during their time of greatest need. You stood aloof, refusing to lift a finger to help when foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. So what's the first you shouldn't have? Well, you know when somebody else suffers, you you shouldn't have just kind of thought, I'm okay. You shouldn't just be aloof when a relative when a brother, when a sister is hurting. You shouldn't have just done nothing. That's the first thing about the Edomites. And it's interesting that in the Bible, they're, they're called relatives of each other, even though, you know, the Edomites wouldn't have claimed Israel or Judah and Israel and Judah wouldn't have claimed them. Do you have members of your family you really just don't quite claim? <laughs> Got any distant cousins? Got any crazy aunts or uncles? Some people you kind of keep in the attic, hope nobody finds out about. Got some brothers or sisters, somebody even closer. I mean, the message of the scripture is this. Who's your brother? Who's your sister? We don't choose our brothers or sisters. We inherit them. And our family's a lot bigger than our biological family. And so we just can't stand aloof and do nothing. Now, the second judgment that was against them was you shouldn't have gloated over their destruction of your, of your relatives. You should, shouldn't be looting their homes and making yourself rich at their expense. You shouldn't take advantage. So not only did they stand off and do nothing, but they got in on the looting business when Jerusalem was destroyed or Israel was taken. You know, there's all kinds of crime. There's white collar crime. There's people that's in the know financially, they'll take advantage. We see this sometimes through Wall Street. There's also the, 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 the kind of crime that happens when there's riots and destruction and businesses are ramshackled. You know, crime is crime. Uh, Sometimes crime can even be legal, but it's still a crime against our brother or our sister. And so uh, that's the second one. That's the second big sin of the Edomites. Indifference, standing aloof, but also taking advantage of somebody else when they're down. You know, it's a crazy world that we're living in. And you see that even though uh, the Edomites are no longer around here, their spirit kind of continues. And even though Jacob and Esau has been gone a long time, this enmity, this, this stuff that we hold against each other. And, you know, it, it usually runs not so much in religion, although religion gets blamed a lot for it. It happens oftentimes in ethnicity and in cultural groups. 
I mean, when I was a kid, it was the Irish. It was the Protestants and the Catholics killing off each other. They both were of the same religion, Christianity, but they were killing each other off like it was a science. And in, in the 90s, when the Soviet Union bloc fell, it, it was the, the Serbs and the Bosnians they, they, and the Croatians, they, they went at each other. Deep-seated ethnicity. When Iraq was freed, it was the Arabs and the Kurds. Uh, you know, you see, you see what happens when these, this kind of stuff just keeps going on? You know, in our politics today, and I don't really want to get too much into it, but what, what I sense and what I feel in the last 20 years is that whether, you know, it's Clinton's impeachment or Bush's uh, election that was being challenged or Obama's presidency or now emerging into the, the relationships and all that's going on with Trump. What I sense is that there's this sense of we almost hope that the other person fails before they even get started. We've come a long way since Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill could have a beer together at the end of the day, even though their politics was very different. And so, friends, you and I are living in a fractured time. And we're living in a time where the Edomites exist. And we're living in a time where, you know what, in the final analysis, what everybody needs to remember is that we are family. And that everybody needs family. And sometimes we have to choose our family, but we don't need to treat others like enemies. Now I want to show you a, a photo here of a poet by the name of Nine. Nine is a, a dude that's in Houston, Texas. He's a part of what's called the shout community. We were talking about the voice. God helps us to find his voice. Well, we need to find our voice sometimes. And Nine's history is very different from mine, as you might imagine. Nine grew up in a single-parent home. He didn't have a father around. And so he, he says, when it came to a father, I had to find father figures. And he said, I had to find uh, who my aunts and uncles were going to be in times. Nine got very street smart, and he got very family smart. And as I look and I read about the Shout community and Nine, and, you know, there's some things I don't, I don't agree with necessarily. I mean, Nine's take on what happened with Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, might be a little bit different than the way I take it. But Nine and I would agree on one thing. It's a crying shame when a young black man dies. It's a crying shame when a police officer is killed. And so nine, out of his wisdom, out of his street smarts, out of his experience of what it means to choose family, because he had to choose family at a point. He has four characteristics that I, I want to share with you 
that I think relates to us today. The first thing he says is that family keeps you out of trouble. I like that. So a true family person, I mean, someone that really has got your back, and, and I've got a lot of confidence in the Ludlows and the Kennys. These two children, they're going to be given things that not every child's given. But you're, you're going you're gonna to help these two youngsters stay out of trouble. One thing. So a true family member is someone that's got your back but also has got your front. Someone's going to speak truth into your life. Someone Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, sometimes I look at somebody's life and I think, well, if they were my son or my daughter, I think I'd say this to them. <laughs> and I think God is saying, Bob, you need to find your voice because they are your son or your daughter. Oh, I got to earn the right and I don't have all the wisdom or the knowledge, but you know, I have some responsibility to step up and people I have relationships with, I care about. They are my son, my daughter. They are my relative. So family keeps you out of trouble. And family prioritizes you over money. Family will invest in you. They won't necessarily hand you everything. But they, at the end of the day, someone that's your true family member, they're not going to take advantage over you financially. But they're going to work to your advantage. They're going to work for the common good. They don't, they don't use their possessions in a selfish way, and they don't use people to further themselves. They use their possessions to further people. Then he says, families can disagree and stick together. This is what we got to figure out. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can agree that there are certain principles and values that's really important. And we may differ in the way that that happens, but we got to do this together. We got to be able to have conversation. I got to look for the truth of what you're saying that I can't agree with. We got to find a way of disagreeing in a way that just doesn't shoot the other person down. And finally, family respects you. You kind of know when someone respects you or not. There's a lot of people's lost their self-respect. There's a lot of people who can't even look you in the eye. But whether someone has lost their respect or not, or whether they don't necessarily earn your respect, you can choose, I can choose, to treat every human being with a sense of respect and help them to find their own in that. So true family doesn't dehumanize and it doesn't demonize. True family doesn't ridicule and mock and put down. If that's your family, you may need to get a different family because that's not what real true family is. Now I want to show you a picture of a true family. This is the picture and we had a lot of graduations around here this week. And one of these graduations that we had was Jobs for life. I want, to like, I want to invite you to look at this photo because this is the 11th graduating class of Jobs for Life. We've had like 80 graduates over the last four years or so. And there's a champion, a mentor, 
that walks with each graduate for eight weeks. And they might continue, certainly, in that championing God's work in your life as that continues. Now, one of the cool things about this is one of those graduates, before the class started, she couldn't look you in the eye. Now she can. Is she ready for a job? No. But she is starting an organized way of volunteering because that's the next step for her. There's a dude up there that's going to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a tattoo artist. More power to him. And there's another guy that's got a solid job already, but he's going to go into management. And what Jobs for Life gave him was a sense of soft skills. Now, this is family. This is what family looks like. And it's doing things with each other. You know, friends, we can't just do things for others. In fact, sometimes when we do things for others that they can do for themselves... That's toxic charity. But I can't just stand back and be aloof and think things are okay in my world either. It's harder work to do with. Harder to stay with. Harder to be family, isn't it? That's one of the ways I just love this church. It's because it's the ministry of doing with. That's the vision of what we're all called to do and be. So how's your family today? You know, I'm a part of different families. I've got my biological family. I've got other families and situations and relationships. How fractured is your family today? Sometimes lightning strikes. Sometimes limbs get broken. Our family tree sometimes is more fragile than we like to think it is. Sometimes there's new limbs that emerge. Sometimes we have to graft ourselves into a different family tree. But we all need family. And we all need to be responsible members of family. And we need to find a way of moving forward in a way that honors God and treats others with respect. One of the uh, worship services we do here is on Sunday nights in church at the center. And I go over there and preach uh, once in a while and I pop in there about once a month and I'll be there tonight. And after the, the service, there's a, a sit down table. And I was sitting down at the table and uh, uh, there's this one woman and I know her, she's been a part of a different thing I led once and she says, uh, so Pastor Bob, do you feel kind of... Uh, out of place here and you know I'm looking at her and you know she's got some she's got some ink on her shoulders and she's got enough muscles I think she probably could take me if she wanted to and I said no I really don't I feel pretty comfortable here and she says well you know you don't look like someone that's gotten in trouble like us because most of the people there um have been they got a record they many have been they're coming out of addiction or they've been in prison and you don't look like you've gotten in much trouble. I said, you know, but you know what? I've had family that's gotten in trouble. And um, when you have family gets in trouble, kind of softens your heart a little bit. 
makes you think about others in a different light. And she said to me, you know, Bob, I want to come over and be in that big church sometime. I want, to, I want to get to the place where I'm worthy enough to be in that big church over there. And I said, you can come over here anytime you want to. You can worship there. You can worship here. Because the people in here, they got trouble too. They got problems too. See, you got problems too. You got troubles too. You've known some. You're married to some. You've had offspring. You got some parents. It's a real mess. I just loved that conversation because there's a story of a woman that's finding her way and recognizes when it comes to Jesus and life and love and the future, we're on an even playing field here. That's what family means. So an Obadiah ends up with um, a word from the Lord about the future. And the word is that deliverers are going to come up from Mount Zion, so Jerusalem's restored. And they're going to rule over the mountains of Edom, so they're going to go into this land of their brothers and their sisters. Uh, the spirit of the Edomites is not to be continued over that land, and, and the Lord himself will be king. That's the crux. The Lord himself will be king. Because ultimately, friends, we are not going to straighten this out on our own. God's going to have to do it. But God wills it that we become a part of his family. And we're part of the enterprise. And we roll up our sleeves and we're doing this together. And we recognize we're in the same boat. God's got to be king. One last image I want to invite you to look at is this cartoon. This cartoon was developed by our city leaders. And I love this image because it's an image of these folks in the same boat, SS Springfield. And there's characters there. And, um, you know, some people are treading water while the one dude is safe and secure. He's got kind of the sin of the Edomites because he's aloof and he's above it all. But this image reminds us, doesn't it? that we're all in the same boat, that we're all together, that we are family. And Obadiah wants us to know, when it comes to the problems of others, you can't stand aloof. When it comes to the problems of others, you can't add to their problems. You gotta remember that they're your relatives and that we are family.